listening to Divorce Happy Hour with your hosts, Christina Previtt and John Nocklinger. We're two divorce lawyers from New Jersey here to talk about love, life, and divorce. Whether you're thinking about divorce, going through one now, or been there, done that, or if you're just a divorce lawyer, this show is for you. To learn more about us and our law firm, you can find us at centraljerseyfamilylaw.com. You can also find us on social media. Just search for NJ Divorce Solutions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Let us know if you like the show or hate the show and what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Please keep in mind that this show is for informational purposes only. It's not intended to take the place of legal advice. If you need legal advice, please call New Jersey Divorce Solutions at 732-384-1550 and mention this program for a free consultation. So today we're going to discuss the number one way to try to reduce the time it takes to get divorced, and that is mediation. So we're going to address the top 10 questions people have about mediation, the mediation process. Yeah, now we're somewhat of our top 10 suggestions, how you can make mediation more productive for your case. So um, I don't think these are necessarily in any order of value, but... The first one, the first issue is what is mediation? Um, you know, we kind of take for granted that everybody knows what that is, but I've suggested it and a lot of people don't know what it is. So what it is, is if you um, have a dispute with your spouse, you may wish to go to mediation where there will be a third party there who is a neutral person. So that means that they're not there to give you legal advice. They're not there to be your advocate. They're not there to fight for you, but they're also not there to advocate for your spouse. They're not really on anyone's side. Um, rather reluctantly, I'll call them maybe a referee, but I think it's a little more than that. They're really there to help the two of you communicate with each other. Um, because obviously sometimes when you're getting a divorce, it's not always easy to communicate with each other, even if it's an amicable situation, it's, you're still going to have some conflict. So this, this, uh, neutral third party will try to facilitate a settlement. And how do they do that? Um, they may have you in separate rooms. They may have you in all in the same room. They might go back and forth between having you together and then separating you. And they really just give you both an opportunity to sort of um, vent about what the issues are in the case. Sometimes they're not legal issues. Sometimes they're just more practical issues. Sometimes people just need to vent a little bit before they can move on and really address the more legal issues. And that's really what they're for. They're just there basically to help you reach an agreement and they're neutral. So it's not your neighbor. It's not your sister. It's not someone's attorney. Those people generally are not very effective because they're, they're going to be biased in some way. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I was, you just talked about the different ways that the mediation process can work. I always think of, uh, you know, you can sit around a table and everyone can hold hands saying kumbaya and try to reach an agreement. Yes, that happens all the time. <laughs> But um, more often than not, the mediators will do what I like to call shuttle diplomacy, which is put the two parties in separate rooms and move between the rooms so that each party can sit in there and curse out their spouse and say every bad thing under the sun about their spouse. But then the mediator can take sort of that and try to use it to bring the parties together. But there's really no um, specific process 
that happens. It, it depends on the mediator. It depends on the situation. So uh, you, you really can't go into mediation thinking it's going to happen a certain way. Yeah, I mean, the, the key to mediation is really just that it's a neutral person, and they're there to help you reach an agreement. Absolutely. Well, number two is what is the role of the mediator? I look at the role of the mediator as a couple things. One is to listen. Listen to uh, the concerns for the parties, and more so listen to what it is they need in order to be satisfied with an agreement. Try to try to listen to actually what is important, what's a little bit less important, and what's least important, and try to manage those things between the parties so that um, they can help the parties reach an agreement. Secondly, is to negotiate. And they really are negotiators. It's not just always about facilitating and saying, okay, well, you want to pay $3 and he wants to pay $5. Can't we just meet in the middle at $4? Sometimes it's about negotiating with one side and saying, listen, you know, you need to be a little bit more reasonable. You need to think about what you're offering a little bit more. You need to come down and actually try to negotiate with somebody. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's like negotiating with a terrorist. Kind of like what you experienced <laughs> with my daughter. Yes, that's how John describes his beautiful Sydney. <laughs> but sometimes you have to negotiate. And, and uh, lastly, you're facilitating. You're, a lot of times you're just acting like a referee in a, in a game. So think, I look, think of a football analogy. You're a referee. You want the game to happen. You want the sides to play out the game but you want to be there to make sure that you call any fouls that are committed. That's right. And I think an effective mediator really can offer solutions. Um, I was at a mediation recently um, where we did settle the case. And, you know, when you've been involved as an attorney in a case for many, many months, I think sometimes you do yourself start to lose some objectivity because obviously you're advocating for your client. And you're only hearing what your client's saying about what's going on at home or, you know, things that happened during the marriage. So it's easy to kind of start to become a little, um, you know, biased, obviously, to your client. So I think an effective mediator can, can recognize that when it's happening, but can also be that, that other person, that other uninvolved person who can offer solutions to a problem that maybe you hadn't thought of. And going back to the mediation that I had recently, that was something that the mediator was actually kind of teasing me about a little bit is let's not focus on all the complaints that everybody has. Why don't we offer solutions for them? Because even if I make, make five recommendations for a solution, they may not like any of them, but at least we're we're talking, and we're rather than just talking about everything that has happened in the past, we're talking about what can we do going forward to try to help the family. Well, that's <laughs> it's interesting with the political season upon us. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people could just learn of not always just being critical, but off actually offering suggestions and alternatives because it's easy just to say no and to make fun of somebody and what they believe. It's much different to offer your own suggestions. Now, what do you think of a mediator in the role of, um, uh, in a much more of a role of what we'll call an arbitrator, where it's not binding arbitration, where what they decide is like akin to a judge, but where mediators get in the role where they're telling one party, you're right, you're wrong. 
on each issue. What do you feel? How do you feel I about that? I don't like that right out of the gate. I think when you first start out, you should not start out with your opinions and try to shove them down the party's throats. Um, I think, you know, my opinion, that's not the most effective way to resolve the cases, especially if you're offending one side. Because once you say, if you say, you know, alimony should be $10,000 a month, and you say that to, I'm going to generalize by gender, you say that to the husband, he's immediately turned off. He doesn't want to hear anything else that you have to say because he feels like you've already formed an opinion about the case. And mediation is not about what the mediator's opinion is of your case. You're not there to get their opinion. They're not a judge. It's not an ESP panel. They're there to help facilitate an agreement. So that said, I think when the mediator has spent, you know, several hours with you, maybe even several days with you, I think they do start to get a sense what is the difficulty in settling here. So if it is because there's one person that's being totally unreasonable, or maybe it's both people that are being totally unreasonable, then they can make a, a recommendation sometimes that I think is helpful to bring them in the middle. But that, I don't think that, I care a little less about what a mediator's opinion is of how the case should settle. I, I care a little more about how they're going to get everyone to reach some consensus. So to summarize, you think it's best after the mediators had some time to try to facilitate, and basically they've re reached an impasse, and maybe they recognize that one party's position is the reason for the impasse, Maybe they want to give it. They want Absolutely. to get. They want to give some kind of recommendation. I think you need to know the reason. That's the only <laughs> way to get. Behind, you have to get behind the psychology of the parties. Why? You know why is why is the wife asking to stay in the house? You know we could guess, but maybe there's a specific reason. You know maybe it's mm -hmm. because she's uh, you know gave birth in the house and she feels emotionally attached to it, or maybe it's because it's. It's near her favorite Starbucks. You know, I, I'm making light of it, but there there could be some reason that we're just, everyone's assuming, which isn't even the case. So you really have to know why people are attached to their positions in order to um, attack them, if you will, or, you know, to work around them. Now, was wanting to stay in the house close to your favorite Starbucks, was that a personal story? Well, you know, there's since there's a Starbucks on practically every corner... Um, no, that, that's not an issue for me. I mean, we know it's not that you gave birth in the house, so we don't no, have to deal with that issue. That won't be happening. After this weekend, I've been assured <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> that won't ever be happening. <laughs> All right. All right, so number three, how do you pick a mediator? I love that you assigned this one to me, John. We, we try to alternate these, so I think John strategically selected this one for me. So I've brought this example up before, you know, how do you pick a doctor? Uh, I don't really know how you pick a doctor. I mean, you go online and you try to find someone maybe who's board certified in a certain area. I don't really know. I think in, in the healthcare field, that does make a difference if someone's board certified um, because they have some special expertise in that area and they've actually had to undergo some other, you know, more rigorous testing and maybe practice in that area for a period of time. But how do you really know if your doctor, if this person is good? You get it probably from other referrals. I know that I 
I appreciate referrals from other doctors because I feel pretty comfortable that if I have one doctor already that I trust and they're recommending someone else that I feel comfortable with that recommendation. So, um, but when I go online, I might just look at their picture. You know, if they have a nice face, okay, well, I'll try them. We'll see how that goes. So I, I think people pick lawyers that way too. I think sometimes it's more a matter of, do I like this person and do I feel comfortable with them? which I, I don't necessarily think is wrong. Um, but as far as picking a lawyer and picking a mediator, and I don't think we mentioned already that a mediator should be um, a family law attorney who practices family law so that they do know the law. How could they even make a recommendation if they don't practice family law? So that's important to keep in mind. But I would suggest that you, as we're going to get into later, you should have consulted with a family law attorney of your own before you go to mediation. And I would ask that person for some referrals for other attorneys that they trust that do mediation. If you just go online, I'm just really not sure how you select a mediator. Everybody's website kind of looks the same. You know, you might have some testimonials on there. If I see maybe one negative response, you know, one negative on somebody's website or, you know, on some lawyer rating website, I don't necessarily think that that means they're a bad lawyer. It could be that there was just some disgruntled person that was motivated to write something about them. I think if you see numerous bad reviews, then that may be, you know, a, a red flag that there's something going on there. If there's all these people that are dissatisfied. Absolutely. <clears throat> but I would, I would note um, some, there's been a, there's sort of been a movement afoot with some of these, uh, websites that rate people, um, where because of the nature of how legal practice has been changing, um, there are certain sites where negative reviews are popping up that aren't real clients. If yeah. attorneys don't do things like pay for additional services. So even, even the sites out on the, uh, on the internet right now, I think you should be very careful. Your best source of information, as Christina just said, is from other professionals, your attorneys, the best source of information. Or certainly if you have um, friends or someone you know that engaged in mediation and they were very happy with not necessarily the result that they got, but just the experience that they felt that the mediator was involved and helpful, then, then I say give that person a try. Absolutely. And if you don't consult with an attorney, I would just say that you know, if you just want one little piece that you might be able to say this, this person could potentially be a good mediator, is you could look for someone who's a certified mediator. At least that means they had to take some extra classes to get there. I'm not going to say that that yeah. means that you're getting a good mediator, but if you just need something to kind of sink your teeth into without, if you're not going to go talk to an attorney, as we're going to discuss a little bit later in the show, then at least that's something you could use. Yeah, and you know what I, I want to add to, it's not on this list, but what, what does it mean for someone to be a good mediator? In my opinion, that is someone that is going to get involved with you when you walk in the door, is going to get involved with both parties, is going to not just find out, you know, on paper, what are the finances, but really get to know you a little bit to determine what is it that's important to you and also what's important to the other person, because that's really the only way to try to figure out if there's, there's you know, some way for the parties to settle, to address well, all of their concerns. Well, isn't a good mediator really someone who gets an agreement out of the parties? 
Maybe. I don't know. That's right. questionable. Number four, which is, how do you prepare for mediation? Well, you prepare for mediation very simply by getting organized. You get organized with documents, you get organized with ideas. Um, you consult with an attorney before you go to mediation if you follow our advice. I think you always try to send something to the mediator in advance, indicating what your position is. And you may or may not feel comfortable sending a copy of that to your spouse. I mean, I don't think there's any issue with sending something to the mediator and not to your spouse because you might just want to get the mediator sort of oriented to your position yeah. before you get there. Well, that's true. And I think that applies probably a little bit more to uh, cases where the parties already have attorneys and because you can go to mediation at different times. A lot of people will go to mediation before they ever have consulted with an attorney at all. Nobody's even filed a complaint. Um, or you could have the situation where it's mandatory and the case has already been going on for 12 months and the parties have to go to mediation. So, or you could have anything in between. So John's really referring more to those situations where you've already had your attorneys involved and, and the case has been ongoing and you just haven't been able to reach an agreement yet. But keep in mind that all of these suggestions really are applicable also to those cases where you've just started out and you haven't gone to an attorney yet. Oh, absolutely. It really, <clears throat> I, I guess the, the, if you're going to gain anything like sort of 40,000 foot view from what we're saying today, it's that there's no really right or wrong way to start the mediation process. Any process that leads to you reaching an agreement with your spouse is a good process. Um, and some people are able to do that without, without a neutral third party. Some people are able to sit down with their spouse and reach an agreement. But even if you do that, you still should sit down with an attorney. Have an attorney put it into a legal document. Have an attorney review your agreement to make sure it's complete. I think that's always the big issue. Um, so let's move on to number five. What do you need to know when you go to mediation? I always recommend that when someone goes to mediation, the best thing that they could have in their arsenal, so to speak, is they need to know what they want. So many people will show up and, and I get these people who either are coming to me because they're going to go to mediation or they come to me because they've already gone to mediation and it was sort of confusing and they didn't really know quite what they were supposed to do. So whoever they are, I tell them you really should go knowing what you want. So knowing, and maybe not specifically, like this is how much alimony I want, this is what child support should be. I think you should just know generally what you want. If do you want alimony? Do you want uh, to stay in the house? Um, what do you want cust the custody arrangement to be? Don't look to the mediator to figure that out for you. I think that's all very important, um, particularly um, if you go to mediation early in the process. Yes, definitely. Because you really cannot go to mediation cold turkey, where you've never thought about anything. Um, and quite frankly, a lot of these issues, you may not even know to think about them. But that's why you should go consult with an attorney even before mediation. If you're not going to consult with an attorney, read. Go As much as I don't like the internet for a lot of information on divorce, at least you can get a general idea about some basic ideas and basic concepts. Talk to someone else who's been through a divorce and ask, well, what issues did, it, did you and your spouse, your ex-spouse have to resolve? So at least you have an idea before you get there. If the first time you're thinking about th these things is when you get to mediation, your chances of succeeding 
during mediation are diminished. Yeah, and what I hear a lot from people before they go to mediation, or maybe they've only gone one time alone with their spouse, is they'll say, well, you know, he or she offered me X, Y, and Z. I don't even know. Is that a good deal or is it a bad deal? I don't know. Am I entitled to that? Um, you know, some people think they're giving away something, but maybe they never were because they weren't entitled to it in the first place. Or what, what's a little more dangerous is they think that their spouse is giving them something so great but they're not because they, you were entitled to that anyway. I can't tell you how many people have come into my office and said, well, my spouse said that I could have half of his or her pension. And my response is always, well, that's really great, but you would have gotten that anyway. <laughs> so if you don't know the answers to those questions, you just have no way of knowing, am I getting a good deal or aren't I? And a good mediator isn't necessarily going to tell you what you're entitled to. That's right. And you really shouldn't rely on what the mediator says, um, so much in that regard anyway, because as we said earlier, the mediator, mediator is not there to give you legal advice. So they're not representing you. They're not representing your spouse. Sometimes you have to be mindful. Mediators want to settle the case. So they may not necessarily care if it's a good deal for either party. They, they might not necessarily mind if one person gave away too much because what they see in terms of success is that the case settled. Yeah, absolutely. Which leads us to number six, which we've already discussed a little bit, but we'll discuss a little bit more. Should you consult with an attorney prior to mediation? And I think uh, based on what you've heard us say so far, the answer is yes, yes, and yes again. Um, but really, when you, when you think about uh, you know, having a consultation with an attorney, I don't, I'm not talking about actually retaining an attorney to represent you necessarily at this stage if you go to mediation early. What we're talking about is sitting down and having a one-hour, two-hour consultation with an attorney. Just you can go through all the issues and you can say, all right, so um, here, here's my life. Here's what I think I want to do. What should I know going into mediation? You just need to have somebody sort of guide you. It's the best money you can spend. If you spend, if you go to mediation and you spend $1,000 on mediation, but you didn't have that kind of guidance going in, you may have just wasted all that time and money at mediation. Whereas if you go to an attorney and spend $500, maybe your mediation is going to take half as long because you go in, you already know what you want. You've already got a good idea. Yeah. You're going in with a game plan. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of like not getting an oil change because you don't want to pay for it and destroying your engine. So, you know, I assure you, this is not a conspiracy by the, the lawyers in the state of New Jersey to get clients to, you know, get, go to consultations for mediation. It really is just because if, if someone's going to give you a free consultation, then wonderful. But if you've selected someone that charges a few hundred dollars for a, a, a consultation, it really is going to be worth every penny if it's going to prevent you from entering into a settlement that is not favorable to you. And we, we hear stories every single day of people who entered into agreements without any attorney consultation without anyone representing them, anyone looking at their agreement with dire consequences a lot of times. And the most common issue I see is not necessarily what the parties agree to, it's what they forgot to address. Yes. And that's always the big issue. Yeah. Or there's just some major provision that's left out. I mean, there's nothing more horrifying than to realize that you gave up 10 years of alimony to get two years of alimony and then find out later that you should have had a lot more because there's just nothing you can do about it. It's done once it's signed. Absolutely. 
Okay, so our next question, which I think you know we've answered some of this, is do you need to bring an attorney to mediation? And the answer is you don't have to bring an attorney to the mediation with you. I, what I always suggest is that if the person feels comfortable that they understand what we've talked about and they feel comfortable communicating that to the mediator um, and they, they do understand you know, all the, the, the gears, the shifting gears that we've talked about, um, then that's really all that matters. The other thing that I point out to them if they're sort of unsure is why don't you go to the mediation if you're not sure when you're there, if there's some settlement that's on the table at the end of the day and you're just not sure, don't sign anything. It's not binding unless and until both parties sign it. So if you go to the mediation and you don't have an attorney with you and you find later that it would have been helpful for you to have the attorney there, you can always go back again with your attorney. Absolutely. And I, th I think you're referring mainly to mediations early in the process, almost yes. before the complaints yeah. filed. Um, <clears throat> and I, I really think that at that stage, I'd almost caution about maybe not bringing an attorney with you to mediation. And let me tell you why, in my opinion. Uh, if, you bring a, if you bring an attorney, you might set the wrong tone going into mediation. The whole idea is let's not get attorneys involved, let's sit down, let's sit down with the mediator, let's see if we can reach an agreement. And one side brings an attorney with you, it's going to look like you're sort of just there to try to maybe maybe the other side's going to feel like you're trying to pressure them into an, an agreement. Particularly, let's say if the husband brings an attorney and his uh, wife is there, it might just set the wrong tone. And if you're not going to create an environment where everyone feels like you're trying to work towards an agreement, it's really not even worth doing mediation in the first place at that stage. Yeah, and, and I do think it's case sensitive because if I get a woman that comes into my office and she's obviously extremely uncomfortable making decisions and maybe there's been domestic violence in the case or maybe if even if it's not domestic violence, if she communicates to me that her spouse is emotionally abusive and I get the sense that she's just really not comfortable communicating on her behalf, then I will suggest that she have an attorney with her. Um, also, I would suggest an attorney if the other person's attorney is going to be there. Oh, absolutely. And, and during the, as we get into the divorce process and you file a complaint and you're not settled, at some point you are required to go to mediation as part of the regular process. And in that kind of mediation, it's really the mediator's decision on whether or not the attorneys have to be present or not. A lot of times that decision is made in consultation with the two attorneys representing the parties with the mediator, but it's really up to the mediator to decide. And that's really a different situation because by that point you've been litigating and maybe you're really stuck on a couple issues you can't resolve. And it's really important that the attorneys be involved in case you don't settle and you need to start yeah, getting I, ready for trial. I like to say too that sometimes the attorneys can actually make the the case just more complicated. It really depends on the attorneys. You're kidding, Christina. Yeah, they. I mean, sometimes you can walk into the attorney's office and suddenly you've got ten new problems that none of you knew you even had. Sometimes they are genuine problems, but sometimes they're not. You know, it's like how many attorneys does it take to screw in a light bulb? <laughs> Yeah, well, but we're not talking about you because you never complicate cases, Christina. Oh, yeah. Never. Of course not. I don't. <laughs> so moving I on. Resent to, that, John. Moving on to number eight. What kind of preparation should you do before mediation? Now, 
we talked a little bit about the sorts of things that you're supposed to gather as you go to mediation, but really here what we're talking about is the preparation you should do probably with your attorney or maybe even without your attorney. It sort of goes back to what Christina was saying earlier about knowing what you want. But in order to do that, you really need to be doing a analysis of your financial situation. You need to be actually taking out the school calendar and looking at holidays and vacations and parenting schedules. You need to be looking at the children's activities and figuring out which parent would be uh, best suited to have the children on certain days of the week. It's really doing that that analysis that you don't want to sit there and pay a mediator's time to be sitting and doing it at a mediator's office. Yeah, I've had several people come into my office and say that they showed up at the first mediation session only for everyone to sit there and fill out basically what's a case information statement to list all their assets and talk about income. And certainly you're going to have to exchange those things, but don't pay a mediator to sit there and do that for you for hours at a time. You should both know what all of your assets are, what all of your debts are, what each party's income is. Um, all of those financial things you should, you should already know and should be mapped out. There could be a case though, where maybe, you know, one spouse paid all the bills. We'll say maybe the wife was the one that handled all the finances and paid all the bills. And the husband just doesn't really know a lot about what's in the bank accounts and things like that. Um, then it becomes a little bit more important to flesh those things out at the mediation session so that both parties feel comfortable that they have all of that information, but specifically gather bank statements, gather credit card statements, gather tax returns. If you need to get statements for the retirement plans, get those, whatever you're going to refer to, to, to confirm bank account balances and things of that nature. Have those, have those available. Most people now are doing online banking. You can get all of that online very easily. Now, do you think it, it, that mediation is usually um, productive early in a case if both parties aren't fully aware of the financial circumstances? I mean, obviously there could be disclosure when you go to mediation, yeah. but let's say one party has no idea about anything. Do no, I, I think once that, uh, that person becomes comfortable and familiar with the way that the finances have been handled, then I think you can move forward towards settling. But if there's one person who's just completely blind as to what the finances have been, I question whether they could really be entering into a fair settlement because how can they, they have to do that knowingly and voluntarily, right? Now, would you advise a client who has no access to a lot of the financial accounts and really hasn't been aware of what's been going on with money in marriage, even if their husband or, or wife um, discloses some kind of disclosure at mediation, would you ever advise somebody to enter into an agreement without some uh, level of discovery of all those documents? I always, I always say trust but verify. So it's not that I'm convinced that this other person who's always handled the finances is lying and hiding money. Maybe they're not, you know, oftentimes they're not, but when you're getting a divorce, you are not on the same team anymore. Even if it's an amicable arrangement, you just aren't on the same team anymore. So get those documents, see what the bank account balances are. I always tell people too, you get one chance to do this. So if you get bank account statements, two days after your divorce is over and you discover that there was $10,000 that was withdrawn from the account, there's nothing you can do about that. So do it now. 
take a little extra time to do it now. And to answer your question, would I ever allow someone to enter in, into an agreement under those circumstances? I always feel that it's my obligation to advise my client, let them know what I think is fair, let them know that I think that they should gather some documents and assure themselves that, that the finances are really what the other spouse says they are before they sign anything. And I think it's up to them to decide whether they're going to take my advice or not. Yeah, so hopefully, I won't stand hopefully in they'll way. follow your advice or they'll be calling crying later on. Well, that's, that's up to them. I always say that everybody has the right to make bad decisions. Mm -hmm. If you want to, then that is your business. I'm not going to tell you Unf what you should do. Unfortunately, sometimes the attorneys get blamed for those bad decisions. Yes, and they do. And, and unfortunately, that's why a lot of um, attorneys will insist that you engage in discovery or they won't represent you. Yeah. But that's just a different style of practicing. Right. Okay, so that brings us to our next question. Is what I agree to at mediation binding? So I'm not going to cite case law. We decided early on we weren't going to do that because the show would just be like us talking at you and reading the news. But the short answer to that question is that it's only binding if both parties have signed it. So if you go to mediation and you, have a, you think you have a deal and you leave, no one has signed anything, it's not binding. You, you both or one person can change their minds later and then you're you know, sort of back where you were. So if both parties sign it at the mediation session, it's binding. I always tell my clients, if you're going alone, if, if you're, unless you're getting a deal that is so good, to, too good to be true, don't sign it. Because, it probably means it is too good to be true. <laughs> yeah, right? It probably, yeah, it's probably totally against public policy, right? But um, I, I tell people that if you're not 100% sure that you're totally comfortable with it, don't sign it because it's going to be binding. Absolutely, which leads us to our final um, question, number 10. What are the confidentiality rules regarding mediation? And it kind of goes, I'll start with what Christina just said, which is that if you reach an agreement at mediation but you don't sign it, neither, neither party can tell anyone later on, well, we reached an agreement. Because anything that happens at mediation, unless there's a signed document that comes out of mediation, is confidential. That means that nothing that's discussed in terms of settlement discussions is admissible. And when I say admissible is you can't raise it in court later on. Yeah, the entire process remains private. Right. The mediator can't actually be called upon to tell anyone what happened at mediation. There are some limited exceptions to these rules, which I'm not really going to get into, but they revolve around, you know, if the mediator finds out at mediation that one of the parties is about to go kill somebody, they have an obligation to report them. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's, it's the more extreme examples um, that are kind of common sense. Yeah, uh, the, the example that I always like to give is that if you admit that you murdered somebody at mediation, it doesn't stay there. We, it can be repeated outside of mediation. Absolutely. But for the most part, you shouldn't feel uncomfortable admitting that, you know, you moved some money around or, you know, as long as it's being properly disclosed or that, you know, you want to, your goal is to stay in the house and then sell it in three years. You can tell the mediator those things. It's going to stay between you and the mediator. Absolutely. Well, we hope that these uh, 10 issues that we discussed uh, at least give you a little clarity in terms of what mediation is all about. But you really should consult with an attorney to get a full uh, 
sort of a rundown of what to expect because um, we just scratched the surface yeah. today. So we're gonna move on to war stories. There we go, there it is. <laughs> Maybe it should be a drum roll. If you have any suggestions what our sound effects should be for the war stories, send us an email at divorceduo at gmail.com. Absolutely. Uh, if you have any other sound effects you want us to use during the show, please let us know. So our war story is about mediation, shocking, and it's about a case that we have right now where we've already done one mediation session and we're going to a second mediation session, which is very common. And uh, interesting thing happened along the way between the first session and the second session, and that's that between the two, there was what I'll call missiles and grenades fired mm -hmm. by the other side at us. And what I mean by missiles and grenades is, um, in this particular case, it's post-judgment, meaning it happened after the divorce is finalized and the parties are in a dispute about modifying they the agreement. They have new things that they found to argue about. New things. So sometimes what a judge will do is send the entire case to mediation as opposed to actually make a decision. And they do this prior to scheduling it for a hearing or a mini trial on those issues. So part of that is um, discovery, which is the exchange of information and the request for information. So between mediation, uh, the first mediation session, the second mediation session, um, I think something like 13 subpoenas were sent out. And subpoenas are um, formal requests for information to third parties, usually like banks, uh, where they have to provide bank statements for somebody. And um, these requests went, were going back many, many, many years. Very intrusive. So the, our client's <clears throat> you know, life post-divorce is now being requested. So this was all done, in our opinion, to gain some leverage so that when we go back for our second mediation session, this particular uh, litigant might be more inclined to agree to something. Yeah, I mean, my opinion is that the um, other attorneys believe, or, or maybe it's their client, believe that this person is hiding money somewhere and they are determined they're going to find it. And by shooting off all of these subpoenas, that it's gonna sort of have him like, like a rodent, you know, trapped in a corner, just scurrying around nervous about, oh my God, I better settle because we're going to mediation. Um, that's my opinion of what's happening with the case. And let's face it, divorce, it's psychological warfare. That's what it is. It's, it is. It's kind of it, like playing poker, right? Well, I mean, each side's trying to get an upper hand any way they can. And a lot of times that upper hand is just scaring the other side with yes. requests. I've seen so many times during a divorce where people will send very extensive discovery demands just to scare somebody where a typical set of a list of questions, which we call interrogatories, a list of questions that will be sent in a divorce, usually number 100 or less. I've seen sometimes people will send 500 or 600 questions, which is abusive. But as long as they're relevant, you have to answer the questions yeah, pursuant but, to our rules. And the goal there sometimes is just to say, we're just going to drown these people in paper so that they'll just want to settle and they'll just give in and wave the white flag and they'll just settle. Absolutely. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. So sometimes that happens at mediation, even though you're not in court, 
uh, sometimes people will try to use those tools at their disposal to try to um, make the playing field uneven so that mediation when we're trying to sit around and again try to uh, negotiate and facilitate a resolution to a dispute, people still use what I'll call the dirty tricks of litigation to still gain an upper hand. So don't just think because you're going to mediation, it all of a sudden means everyone's gonna play nice and you're gonna sit around and try to do things in a nice way. It might yeah. still mean that people are playing, I won't say dirty, Okay, I will say dirty. Some people will still play dirty. John, I just realized we sound so jaded. We really need to stop. <laughs> I will say I want to end on a more positive note that there are plenty of people that truly want to be fair and they just want to settle their case and that they are willing to make compromises. And unfortunately, as attorneys, we don't see those very much because it's the people that want to fight that come to us.